A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. She didn't know it at the time, but this was how my guest on this week's show ended her final monologue as a late-night host. I can't describe how painful it is to be here now in a place where the Supreme Court has the power to erase 50 years of constitutional law. Make no mistake, this is not where it ends. Conservatives will not rest until they have come for all of our rights. Everything we have fought for could be lost unless we take it back. It's not just about voting in November. It's about doing everything in our power to protect and help vulnerable people access abortion across state lines. And we have to raise hell in our cities, in Washington, in every restaurant Justice Alito eats at for the rest of his life. Because if Republicans have made our lives hell, it's time to return the favor. We'll be right back. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Samantha B, who returns to the show this week for our 200th episode. As I tell Sam in this conversation, I really could not think of a better guest for this huge milestone. She was previously on episode 8, all the way back in May of 2019, and so much has changed in the world and both of our lives since then. The biggest change for Sam came last summer when her late-night show Full Frontal got canceled after seven seasons on TBS. And what ended up being the show's final episode aired just two days before the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. She really hasn't said too much about what happened until now. So it was such an honor to get the full story from her directly. We talk about how she found out the show had been canceled, what she learned from the experience of making it, and how the whole thing has informed what she wants to do next. And while she tells me that will not include guest hosting The Daily Show, Sam is about to head out on a 16-city tour of her new live show called Your Favorite Woman, kicking off this Friday night in Newark, New Jersey. Tickets are available at SamanthaB.com. All right, here we go. Episode 200 of The Last Laugh with the great Samantha B. Well, I could not be more excited to have you here for our 200th episode of the last <gasps> laugh can you believe it are you it? serious yeah oh my god this is <laughs> oh my god i'm just like the, i'm a the i'm like queen elizabeth exactly yeah um you were here for our eighth episode you were you were are guest you number kidding? eight in may guest... of 2019 wait that's... a minute that's a lot of you've done a lot of episodes well, we have we really in have a it's short amount of time somehow i don't know how um wow. but yeah it was, uh, it was may 2019 uh i came to your office in new york mm-hmm. yep um i don't know it seems like a lot has changed since then so i mean <laughs> there's so much has changed oh my goodness i was your eighth guest and your 200th guest. that's a good that's a good bookmark yeah pretty good right that's nice i think so it's nice feels like quite a long time ago um we also uh, were supposed to do a, we were supposed to do together a live episode mm-hmm. at South by Southwest uh, yes. in 2020, oh my which did not God. happen. Uh, not only no. did our event got canceled, all mm-hmm. of the events got America, canceled. America, so, the world yeah, got canceled. Yeah. It wasn't so our it, fault. It made me feel a little better. Like, I feel like if just ours had gotten canceled, I would have been more bummed. But like the fact that yes. everything was canceled, it was a little easier to take. I feel like I remember that particular countdown to cancellation (laughs) so vividly. Like I just remember the days ticking by and going, I don't feel, I'm not sure this is going to happen. I think it was, you know, it was probably scheduled for like March 15th, 16th, something like that. It was something like that. And I felt like when they, they, they finally pulled the plug on it and I was like, they pulled the, I remember (laughs) South by pulling it so late and people had been calling for it for days and they were like, hold on a minute. Maybe it's, Maybe it's okay. <laughs> oh yeah, we had flights and hotels and oh, everything yeah. else. Yeah, that was fun. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Great. Um 
obviously the the other the other big change uh, in in your world uh, since then is uh, full frontal is is no longer which I I want to get to a little later but um I figured we could kind of start this conversation with this new tour that you're about to go on because yes. I I would love to hear more about it um and it seems like it's a it's just a very exciting new thing speaking of you know getting back out in the world that's like a totally. that's a big one that's a big one. It is a really big one. And I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm like nervous about it, but mostly I'm excited about it because the one thing that we never returned to was a live audience. And of course, we're we're in it for those claps. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard those It's a lot different a telling jokes to silence. Right? <laughs> it really is. And I didn't mind it. Like, it was fine. But um, it will be really nice. We always had such a good live studio audience at the show. Like we just, it was people were who, people who came to our live tapings were like, they were there for that explicit experience. Um, and I expect the audience of the, of the stage show to be, to be similar. Like, I, I, I mean, I hope so. It doesn't yeah, feel like it's not it, like you, I don't think you'd be <laughs> attracted to it the way you would like wander past a show in a mall. Like, right. I think it's like a very yeah. specific group of Even people. Even a TV taping is kind of like the tickets are free, usually. It's like, yes. so, yeah. So you never really know how someone ended up there, but you never they, really know. Our audience was generally like how they curated that group yeah, of people was they actually, did a good job. they did a really, really good job because people were like, I am here for this exact thing. Yeah. So, speaking of, that was another one. I came, I think it was, it must have been the midterms, I guess. I came to the, mm-hmm. your audience. Mm-hmm. The, it was like a Halloween show before okay. election day. Okay. But it oh, had like, to have been 2018, I think, not I 2016. 20, yeah, I guess it was 2018. Oh, boy. The world was <laughs> everything. I feel like our entire relationship with each other has just marked the yeah, biggest marked events, yeah. marked time in a very interesting way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, getting that live audience back is is definitely exciting. And it kind of is back to your your roots of, of live performance, right? I mean, that's how you started. It is. That is how I started. And, and I do, and I really love it. And of course I'm nervous about it because it's such a less, um, it's a bit wild. It's, it's actually totally wild. It feels like a loopy, like a loopy wild swing, but I'm, I don't know. I think for myself, what I'm excited about is that I just actually just really want to do it. I just want to do it. There's no other reason to do it. There's no, like, I have something to say, so I want to say it. This is the way that I can say things right now, and I'm very happy to do it. I'm I'm very happy to do it with my people. I would like to be reunited with my people a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean both both your fans and and the people who who love you. But are you also working with some of the full frontal crew on this, or yeah, is it? Yeah, know? there's a, definitely uh, so there's some key people bringing forward. So that's fun. It's fun to be collaborating again. Like it was, you know, the show ended in I guess in July of last year. And so this has been really, this has been great. It's been very, uh, it's been a really interesting experience to like drill down on the things that I really care about and the things that I want to talk about moving forward, the things that I like doing. And I feel like everyone always says you should do, do, do something, do something scary, do something scary all the time. (laughs) You'll stay, you'll live forever. So I'm like, okay, well I'll just stay terrified. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you said you, you really want to, you, you have something to say. You want, what, what is that thing that you feel like you want to say with this show? Matt, I want to talk about, I want to talk about women. I want to talk about women, two women and two people who love women. And that's, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I'm passionate about. It's pretty fraught out there for women right now. And so I'm, I think I'm going into this experience, just going like, all right, let's just gather Let's just talk about all the shit that's going on. Let's like laugh about it. Let's um, talk about menopause. I know that this is like, you know, <laughs> I know that your demographic who listens to the show is just like the number one menopause. Yeah, we're the, we call ourselves wanna... the menopause crew. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk about that. It feels it's like really personal. I'm really going through it. Like my audience wants to hear about this stuff. I think if it if they don't. Then you'll find out really fast. I'm gonna. I'm about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like the the idea of a of a one woman show uh, maybe means something different in 2023 than it than it would have in in other eras. Do you feel that? For sure. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, it feels there's like 
I feel like there's like 300 or maybe 3,000 reproductive rights bills happening in the next year. I feel like <laughs> it's so it's absurd. It's actually absurd. So I want to talk about that or whatever. Make jokes about that. Laugh about it. Be together about it. <laughs> Catharsis about it. I'm not sure. Are there things that you feel like you can do in that format of the of the live show that you just couldn't do um, in a television show? I think so because it's so specific to um I think so because you know when you're when you're building a television show you have to you know it's a different it's a different it, it's more strict. I think the machine is more strict or the way that I conducted my TV business was that type of strict machine. It was like 21 minutes, you got to go hard down a couple of different paths. It can be expressive, but I never really got so personal in, I never really got so personal on television. It didn't feel like the right medium maybe for more personal stories. And this like, is the, like you felt the, like it wasn't about you. It was, it was about sort of yes. the political in a, was, in a larger sense. I don't, it didn't feel like, um, it, 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 the setting wasn't, the setting wasn't right to be very, it got personal sometimes, but the setting wasn't really, uh, didn't lend itself to that. I felt like there was a bigger, I don't want to say a bigger mission, but like television is television and a live performance is live performance. And so it's looser and longer and there's more time for that. There's just more time to be self-deprecating or like indulgent or just nuts. Like it doesn't have to <laughs> is, be so. Yeah. Is there, is there anything scary about that too, to kind of share more personal stuff on stage or yeah, it's not really, it's not really like me. I'm not a huge, um, I don't have like a social media presence where I'm like, look at every aspect of my life. And not that this show is that either, but I generally have a pretty, that, and it's just my personal, it's just the way I am. I just don't, I have a pretty hard line between like, what is what I share publicly and what is my private life is, is very private, but not like, not in a, not in a terrifying way. It's just sort of like, I don't find it. It's not like super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that anyone <laughs> wants to watch me make a salad. Like who gives a shit? I don't, yeah. I don't really want to film myself doing it and I don't think anyone cares. <laughs> so it is a bit of a departure in that yeah. sense. Because so, I'm going to make a salad. I'm just yeah. Make uh, so that's a big, salads. that's like the centerpiece big, of the show. Huge. Is it's the a salad. centerpiece. Yeah. Big, big set piece. <laughs> um, but you feel like people who come to this might learn more about you as a person even than they did watching you on your show for, for several years? I think so. I think so. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Well, it's in a good way, though. Is it? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> is it? What do you want to know? Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> So talking about the the circumstances that led to this, um, I would love sure. to just go back to what ended up being your final episode of Full Frontal, because it was oh quite gosh. a dramatic one it on was. a lot of levels. I know. It was like the day before Roe got overturned or like two days before. It was right. It was the Wednesday of that week. And we knew it was happening. We just didn't know what day. I had COVID. <laughs> I had, yeah. I so I imagine you, you almost canceled that show or you considered canceling well, that show. Yeah. I mean, it was... Yeah, I didn't want to. It's not like I knew that it would be our last. I did. I definitely didn't know that it was going to be the last show. I didn't want to cancel it because none of us wanted to cancel it because we knew that the decision was coming, and we just wanted to like say one last thing before we knew the decision was coming down. So it was sort of a no brainer to. And we had we were so practiced at filming the show outside of the studio that it felt like no one was excited. I didn't want to do it in my backyard or like under my overhang. I wasn't like, yeah, it was also raining, right? It was raining. Like all the, <laughs> it was raining. I did my own makeup. My skin is very pink. It's like overly, <laughs> I'm like, my skin is the weirdest color, but I was thankfully like mercifully not very sick, like testing positive, but not feeling bad or really different in any way. So it wasn't, it wasn't that hard to do. Hi, welcome to Full Frontal. I'm Samantha B, and I have COVID. Don't worry, I'm fine. This is just how I look without makeup. It's also raining as we shoot outside because God hates women. Oh, sure, I know the other late night hosts took the week off when their hosts got COVID, but I'm not like those other guys. I need attention. 
Also, we have really important things to talk about on this week's show. This could be a pivotal week in our nation's history. All eyes on this big case on Roe v. Wade that could implicitly overturn the right to an abortion in this country. The decision to overturn Roe v. Wade will be devastating. 26 states will likely move to ban abortion immediately, which is a shame because the only interesting thing to do in North Dakota is get an abortion. And, you know, we were like, well, fuck, we have a whole show. Let's want to do it. I don't want to not do it. Yeah, and, and it was incredibly it was like timely. Can, it was so timely, and it wasn't like we could go on vacation and come back and do the same material. We knew the world would be totally different, and it was. So I'm, I'm really glad that we did it. It is There's a beautiful, weird symmetry to, to doing the last show, like in my, as I look out the window, like right where I'm where I'm looking right now under this porch that we have in the rain. How did you find out and when did you find out that the show had been canceled? I found out we had a vacation. We had a scheduled vacation. So we were on our break. So I found out over the break. So I had gone on a big family vacation and we came back and then I found out when the, like a couple of days after we came back, sort of mid, like mid to late July, late July, I guess. And, um, and I told everybody and everybody was shocked. And I was like, I don't know what to say. It was very, it was, we were, everyone was really sad. It was really sad. It was sad. Were you shocked? I think shocked, but not, I think shocked, but not surprised. Yeah. I wasn't surprised. I mean, you could see, listen, like I've worked in television for a long time. You can see when you see the writing on the wall, you see it. And I, of course I saw it. We talked about it a lot, like openly talked about it a lot. And I do recall, I was like, I remember Having said to my husband Jason, um, maybe a year before, or maybe in the beginning of the year, I was like, if we make it past June, I think we'll be very, very lucky. I was like, I didn't remember saying this in the moment, but I do recall in a kind of a vague way thinking, like, it's a convenient time for them to get rid of a show when you're on a large break. Like, that's when everybody, you're like, we're on a pause. We're re, <laughs> what are they, <laughs> what is the word everybody uses? We're like, hiatus. we're re, we're on a extended hiatus. We're like re refocusing the, we're re <laughs> repurposing. We're selling all the chairs. We're yeah. selling all the office yeah. furniture. And yeah, we'll just back, see, just, you know, we'll yeah. just see if there's a show after that. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, so yeah. not, not, I mean, it's, it's so shocking. hard because it's like, you know, you are at the top of this thing and, and there's all these people <laughs> who work for it. So, I mean, that part of it must be incredibly difficult to, to yes. you know, know that there's people's livelihood um, relies on it. How did you feel personally? You know, a hundred percent. Listen, I've been doing this for a really long time. So on a personal note, it's fine for me. Like I've done a lot personally. I've accomplished a lot, and I don't take that for granted. And I've, I'm very, very lucky. I really worried about everybody else for sure. Like it was like it's an ego blow. Like I'm not gonna lie, it's not like yeah. fun. You're not like, no, oh, what, yeah. I love when everybody's talking about me. What's everybody saying? Oh, Ted Cruz is a big thumbs down. Okay, like it's not yeah. like joyful. Yeah, there <laughs> so was some. Like, there was some gleeful. Uh, there's some gleeful uh, reactions on the right uh, to sure. being canceled, which is not not fun. The good thing is that I don't give a shit, and also I don't <laughs> read any of it. So the, actually, the only I only know about two. And I don't even know why they snuck in because I don't follow any of these people. I don't like Ted Cruz. I knew about Ted Cruz and I knew about uh, Glenn Greenwald. That's brutal. Yeah. I'm like, that's, you know what? His (laughs) hatred. I drink, I I breathe it like oxygen. I'm like, give it to me. Give me some (laughs) more. I'll take it. I love it. I feed off of it. You're doing something right. I think. Yeah. Exactly. If If that's going on. So that was totally fine. Um, but I did, yeah, I worried about everybody else because, you know, they're not like seasoned, cynical, <laughs> professional battle axes the way that <laughs> I haven't, they haven't taken as many kicks to the crotch as I have. <laughs> so I bounce back from that shit. <laughs> I was wondering if, if in retrospect, you, you feel like TBS was maybe not the best fit for what you were trying to do. No, I will never think that actually. I do think, I think, Discovery was not the right fit, but yeah, I do think and that, that was a change that happened. That was recently. a change that happened. I mean, we definitely. Here's why it was great for us at TBS. First of all, they believed in me. Like when the show started, they really took a chance. Like they really did, and I cannot. I'm not going to not give them credit for taking, for taking a chance and fighting for the show for many many years because they really really did. 
like nobody else was lining up to give me a show. And not to mention they gave me a show, but they also gave my husband a show. Like we had two shows on their network. They were building. They were, you know, they were, when we started at TBS, they were trying to create something new. They had been like, they had been the super station or whatever. I can't remember. I think they were calling themselves the super station and they just, there was a lot of like, I remember that. Oh yeah. Very funny. There was originals (laughs) that were sort of like not really working. And I think that they wanted to redo everything. And, um, and they really took a chance on me and my family and my, the love of my life. They believed in us. We made great projects with them. And in the end, they got swept up in like multiple mergers. A lot of, a lot of things happened. Um, but I can never take away from them that they really, they really were there. Like Brett Weitz was our executive and he fucking fought hard for our our show to exist and stay on the airwaves. And I appreciate, I really, really appreciate that. I, I really do. On the, on a positive side, I'm looking back, what are the, you know, segments, moments, sketches, things that really stand out in your memory that you feel like defined what you what you were trying to do with the show? I mean, didn't you hear before when I said that I was like in perimenopause? I don't remember anything. <laughs> I don't remember things about that happened. I mean, <laughs> like we had so much fun. We did so much crazy stuff, shit that no one had really done before on TV. Like we said things no one would say. We took wild swings at things. We um, actually did a fair amount of really great sketches and weird shit and like great interviews, incredible field pieces, segments that we brought comedy and lightness or to a lot of like really dire information that we were so happy to convey, like that we were so excited to like tell the story of this really big thing that we were all outraged by. Like nobody else was really like, giving a woman a show where she could just be like openly outraged, but also make jokes like dark jokes, fucked up jokes. Like (laughs) I'm proud of that. I think we just, I think we were like a really balls out show, super risky, um, like ruffled people's feathers, made people so mad. I'm so proud of the people that we made mad. Um, (laughs) I, I don't know. I'm I'm proud of what we did. Like our post-election show was awesome. How did everyone get this so spectacularly wrong? Pollsters, the media, the keeping it 1600 nerds, us. What was the X factor that none of the forecasts accounted for? Okay, I have a confession to make. Um, a few years ago, I appeared on a little show called Law and Order. You may know Vanessa Carvel. She's being blackmailed. Soon after it aired, the 20-season hit series was canceled, even though there were still six people in New York who hadn't yet appeared on it. And then last year, I gave a tasteful interview in Playboy. The next day, Playboy canceled nudity. I guess I didn't notice the pattern because yesterday, I voted in an American election for the first time, and I broke America. I am so sorry. And please don't even think of writing something stupid like, what a lucky break a Trump presidency is for comedians. The jokes just write themselves. No, 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 shut up. Jokes don't write themselves. Jews write jokes, and they are scared shitless. That was really, that was, that was really a defining moment where it was like, okay, what is, okay, what is the business of this show? What are we doing? What are we, like, that's the point where I really went, okay, well, I think that the purpose of this show now is to plant a flag in what's right and kind of illuminate that stuff in a comedy way to the best of my ability, to the best of our abilities moving forward. Like, let's just plant a flag in the sand that is like for, for rightness, for, for justice. I don't know. We tried. Yeah, we I mean, did it for that, a long time. That, yeah, that 2016 election, you know, it really changed what the show was. I mean, it changed everything for everybody, but it, it well, did before change. Well, that, yeah, before that, it was like Ben Carson got lost in the <laughs> – Ben Carson's <laughs> the lost yeah. backstage at a debate. He can't find his way out of the curtain. Somebody go get him. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my all-time favorite moments. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> it's funny. I wonder you, you who, mentioned... who's gonna, who's going to get lost this year. Who's going to get lost? Who do you the think? Next year, I'm excited. I'm excited to find out. Hopefully, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, there's a trap door. <laughs> uh, it's interesting you mentioned the outrage thing and sort of the ability to be outraged on TV because I think that is sort of a something that you got tagged with a lot was angry, right? And, sure. you know, which is gendered as well, obviously. Yes, of um, course. How did you, did you think about that while you were making the show? Like, how angry should I be? Should I be like responding to the, the, the way people see me or, or how did you mm, handle not that? Really? I mean, probably in fits and starts I did, or like occasionally I'd be like, is this too, like, is this too history? Cause you can go from, you know, you can. I think performance wise, you're, I was always trying to like, oh, what's the right amount of this? Or like, there's a, there's an alchemy to it. You don't want to be like weeping and self-indulgent. Like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be ridiculous about it. It's not an opera. Um, but uh, I think just bringing the, bringing the, the Samantha B correct a level of passion to something was a balance I always tried to strike you know, somewhere between totally histrionic and like easy and breezy. Yeah. And um, detached or, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, always- you don't want to be detached. What's the fucking point of doing a show if you're detached from, like totally detached from it? I wouldn't want to do that. I don't think that's worth, like, it, I, I don't think we were going to have seven years of shows to play with. I thought we'd only have like six episodes or so or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, I pretty much probably thought it was over after our, our, our our podcast recording, I was like, mm, we're probably done pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was wanted to use my time wisely and say all the things, like say all the things just in case. And so. I imagine that balancing the passion with the comedy is always a challenge on a show like, like that, um, that you're, cause you're, cause there's always comedy running throughout it, but the things you're talking about are often not funny and the, and the, you know, the passion can overwhelm the comedy sometimes. Too. Sure. So and sometimes that, there's just stories. That- yeah. Sometimes there's just stories. You're like, there's no path. We can't do it. It's not, this isn't like, this isn't the stuff of a comedy show. Like, And then can't. you just wouldn't talk about that stuff yeah. or you would, Correct. yeah. Yeah. And some then, stuff so you is would, yeah, too you awful. would find the, the stories that, that had some way to be funny about. Some way, an angle, like some piece of shit doing something terrible that you can at least like turn, you know, you can turn the lens on the piece of shit person or the people versus making fun. You're not making fun of the issue itself. I'm trying to think of a specific example of that, but you can turn the, you can turn your lens to the people who are trying to create the laws that are oppressing the, the people that you want to help and protect or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I would think of that, uh, that Lieutenant governor, um, who was, uh, liking the, um, you know, the, the Instagram post. Did you follow that story at all recently about um the uh, the anti gay? Uh, yes, the, <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. In Tennessee, I believe that's a good exactly. example of something yeah, where it's... you could you know you find the right target. I guess. Yes, you just choose your targets, and if there's no if there's no real target and it's just pure sadness all the way down, perhaps it's not. Perhaps it's a frontline episode. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And often, I mean, we used a lot of footage from frontline, so it's not like those two things. <laughs> exist completely separately. Um, but sometimes it's just for frontline and not for you. Were there any, have there been any news stories in this now, you know, it's been almost a year, uh, sort of since you, since you ended that they come out where you're like, Oh, this would have, this one, I really wish we were on the air to talk. I wish about. we were on the air to talk about all this, the, the anti-trans legislation and, and book. And we've, we, you know, we definitely, we definitely talked about that stuff, but it is really like, it is just like a scotch hose of anti-trans legislation and book bans. And, um, you know, I think we would have spent a lot of time. I think we would have spent a lot of time grappling with that and grappling with people trying to shut down sex education for, (laughs) for middle schoolers and people in general and wanting a readout of girls, menstrual histories to make sure they're not up to any like funky gender business. Like, it's absurd that we have to talk about these things. But as always, there are those who are so good at changing the conversation from their complete inability to govern. Just shifting the conversation to something people can get all ruffled about is just like their chef's kiss expertise. <laughs> Nothing new. Um, 
Yeah, the uh, the the Don Lemon comments about uh, Nikki Haley were one that I thought um, of you, and uh, that so joyful. You might have had something to say about, and you, so, and you tweeted a little so bit. So joyful! It. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! You just oh, I want to. I want to. I want to hear it again. It's such a. It's just a thing of beauty. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry, when a woman is considered to be in her prime in her twenties and thirties and maybe forties. What are you talking? Wait, I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful. Google it. Google it. Google it. Women are past their prime in their yeah. in their forties. He goes, like, yeah, I I googled it. Like he was, that was his defense. Then his challenge was like, Google it, world. You'll see. You'll agree. <laughs> I know when the, you know, especially right after the show um, ended, there was some talk about bringing it to another network or, or doing it somewhere else. Is that something that you still think about? Is it still even a, a possibility? I don't really think it's a possibility. And I'm not sure that at this point I would, you know, there are there are elements of the show that I would want to move forward. Like, the, I really do miss, um, well, first of all, I miss a lot of the people and I miss the expression of it. But I do really miss doing field pieces. Like, that's what... Um, it was it was so joyful for me and such a learning experience for me and i think i'm actually excellent at it you are it's I, a real, I agree 100% i don't want to like toot my own horn but it really is my wheelhouse and where i derive the most the most uh personal joy as a performer and so i i, I really miss that i really really miss that it's going to feel pretty weird probably going to feel okay to not go to the conventions for the first time in my oh wow yeah professional life um but mostly it's it's the field work that i that i truly miss and so that is something that i would love to take forward i'm not sure what form that will take or if that will take form but i i truly would i truly would love that like yeah i mean I think that's something yeah that you really you that's how you that's how you started at the daily show right was uh was doing those those kinds so much of, of it. Um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of travel pieces of just missions of going out and interviewing people truly i just love to interview people and genuinely curious did you like it um, immediately or did you no, or, or it was, was terrible. it terrifying yeah i mean it yeah it's like... terrible <laughs> yes yeah, terrible it's a really really hard skill i mean you know like it's very very difficult to get what you want out of an interview subject while allowing them to tell their story. So everybody brings an agenda to the conversation. Everybody has their aunt, their questions, their mission, and the other person has their answers and their mission and what they want to communicate. And so like merging those two things while storytelling, while adding the element of jokes is a really difficult and weird skill set that I think is a pretty beautiful art form that I just grew to enjoy so, so much. Um, and it's a, a very, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre skill set. And, and for the producers who are like the best at it, it's a weird skill set for them to have as well. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So if you were, if you were going to launch a new show, you could imagine it being more focused in that direction than on the sort of yeah. stand up monologue side sure. of what you were doing. I think the truth is, I think it's incumbent um, if I work again in television to to really just do the things that I, I'm not like so desperate to be on screen that I'll just, I'm not going to like, <laughs> I don't think do I'm anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I'm an appropriate choice to like host, let's make a deal or like what not to disparage. It's a wonderful program. Um, but I don't really care for any of that stuff. I think if, uh, I'm kind of at the point in my life where I'm like, well, I really have to like it. I really have to like it. I really have to like the team. I really want to do the work. And then I would love to do that. And if not, I will attend I'll tend to my honey base and do oh, yeah. <laughs> and do my other stuff, do my live how, show. How are the bees doing? Are they are they still thriving? They're not really thriving, to be honest with you, but they will be thriving once the flowers bloom. Coming up. I asked Sam if anyone from The Daily Show reached out to her about guest hosting after Trevor Noah stepped down. Her answer just might surprise you. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our previous episode with Samantha Beat, as well as our other 198 interviews with comedians and former Daily Show alums like Jordan Klepper, Larry Wilmore, and Louis Black, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Samantha B. So we are talking in the middle of this uh, kind of crazy run of daily show guest hosts that's happening. Um, I don't know how much you've been following that or paying attention to it. Did did anyone reach out to you about either guest hosting or or being involved in any way in that process? No, they don't. They did not ask me to guest host. And I'm fine with that. Like, I mean, that's fine. I'm not like, it's a little, slightly confusing, but like, it's fine. If that's, that is totally fine. Would you, what would you have said if they had? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's not really, these decisions are not up to me. So I'm just, I'm just sort of open hearted about the whole thing. And I don't take it, I don't take it personally. And I'm like, all right, well, good. okay, have fun out there. All right. <laughs> I mean, you Go were certainly on, mentioned on a lot of lists, and you know, sure. people talking about it when when the when Trevor Noah stepped down. We obviously yeah. previously in our in our episode number eight, we talked about uh, how you were not really considered after John Stewart uh, stepped down. Um, but you so- know what? Like, I care about a lot of people who still work there, so it's actually a pretty awkward conversation for me to have because I'm not, I don't have bitterness about it, and I'm. I'm just sort of like, all right, well, I'm just going to be like water and let this flow through me and not really listen to what anybody's saying about it. I don't listen to what anybody says about it ever. I don't go like, oh, everybody's talking about me. Ooh. (laughs) I just don't. I'm just not going to. I just can't crowdsource my – I can't crowdsource my own opinion of myself in a way. Does yeah. that make sense? Well, I guess you don't want to hear it, but I, I would have liked to see you uh, at least in that mix because I think it's it has been pretty fun what they've been doing, at least seeing all these different people, um, you know, just have one week to do it. as And it's, it's this sort of lower pressure situation in a way where, you, where you're just kind of coming in and out. So I, I would have loved to see um, you behind that desk. Well, uh, thank you, that. man. That's very sweet. <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, that is, it is strange that, um, maybe, maybe they think you're, you're too, you're too big for it now. I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's me. Too big, too, too huge, big to fail. I'm a big, you're a bank. I'm a big bank. <laughs> I'm a big crypto bank. <laughs> In another interview you did recently, I saw you, you talked about turning down opportunities uh, and use the term with the quote wrong collaborators. And I was wondering what, what that looks like for you. What is, what does that mean to you? Well, you know, like things have come, things have emerged. I can't, I'm not going to talk specifically about any of them. Things like things have emerged and it just was like a, not a good fit and I could feel it. It was, I've been in this business for so long that I can feel when the way a collaboration is going and I can feel when, and it's, I don't, it's not really offensive. I can feel when someone is like working with me, but they don't really like what I do and they're trying to like merge me with another style. And I'm like, I don't. So I've, 
I have turned down a few things. I've gotten out of a few things. I've turned down a few things for those reasons. And it's not even, and I think that the, the, you know, the opportunities that I've had in the past have enabled me to make choices. Like you can't always make these choices, but right now I'm in a position to make these kinds yeah, of choices. I must feel good to, to be able to say no, because early in your career, you really don't have that ability. It's, it's very freeing. And again, it's not even personal. It's like there was kind of, there was one thing that really wasn't working out and I knew it wasn't working out. And I think that the other team, they also knew that it wasn't really working out, but we were on this path and it just kept moving forward. And so I, I, I halted it. I was like, hold on, like, can we just have a real conversation? And I was like, I really don't think that this is working. I really don't think this is a good fit. And I'm not even mad about it. And you shouldn't be mad about it. And we shouldn't be mad at each other. We should just agree that this is not the right fit. This is not the right collaboration. So let's not do it because we have the power <laughs> to stop it and do things that are a better fit. And it was such a refreshing, it actually was a really freeing and refreshing experience because we all agreed and, and I think that we all kind of walked away without any hard feelings by just being truthful about it and like not going so far down the line that you couldn't reverse course. It was like in my bones, in my, literally in my DNA, I could feel that it wasn't going to work and I'm sure they could too. And so we stopped and we, I felt like I took off an invisible backpack and just put it to the side. I was like, I'm going to find collaborators on this project that are going to be the right fit. And ultimately I think I, I actually have, and it is a project that I cannot yet announce, but um, I think I'm with the right team now that's going to really make it work. And I'm really excited about it. And I was like, that was so such a good decision. And again, all this, all these years of working have enabled me to make that choice, but it was like a very satisfying choice. You know, that was very good. I mean, the the upside of, of your show ending is that you have the freedom to do other things. I mean, I know maybe you don't want to talk specifically, but even beyond the tour, are there types of, of things that you really want to be doing that you just didn't have time for before or, or couldn't imagine being able to do? Yeah. And for one thing, I am rebooting my podcast in a different oh, yeah. form at a different place. I saw that. I saw a little like uh, something about mm -hmm. that. I'm pretty you know. excited about that because I really enjoyed that. Because I truly, again, just really enjoy talking to people and interviewing them. So that is something that I'm really, really excited about. And doing it in a way that I want to do it is very important to me because I'm not, again, it's not like, like I don't, I don't want to just do things for the sake of doing them. And I do have the ability to not just do literally everything at this moment. Talk to me in 15 for now, years. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm like <laughs> running a bingo night at, <laughs> I don't know. What I want to do now is our, our segment called The First Laugh, which didn't exist when you were on this podcast oh the first time. So this will be fun. I hope it doesn't require rapid fire answers. That's the worst. That's my lowest level of skill. We can go as fast or as slow as you Ooh, We're going to go slowly. Want. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so going back to your childhood, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? or something uh, that, you know, from early on that you, you remember really connecting with uh, in the comedy world? Well, I did love comedy growing up and I did. We always watched, I watched so much television growing up. I was an only child. And so, and SCTV came on, came on every day at dinner time. So I would eat my dinner in front of, so I'd watch SCTV at dinner time, like a, a religiously. It was Carol Burnett and SCTV six o'clock and six 30 in Toronto, I think that's, roughly something like fantastic, that. Fantastic. Uh, you know, scheduling programming. Perfect for me and my life. <laughs> I just ate in front of the TV mesmerized. And I do remember like specifically loving Catherine O'Hara so much and also, and, and Carol Burnett always, but like I wanted to be Catherine O'Hara so badly. Just beauty and the beats made me laugh so much beauty and the beats. Because they would, do you remember that sketch? It's so I don't ridiculous. Remember that one. She was like, I, I, I'm trying to, I have to go back. I only time, had like limited, she, I feel like I had like limited SCTV access as a, I'm going to describe in, this. In America. I'm going to describe <laughs> this. It's not going to sound 
funny at all, but it was just like this young girl living in a castle and the, her parents, the king and queen, would try to make her eat beets. And she was like, I don't like beets. And they would put her in an <laughs> Iron Maiden. <laughs> I thought it was the height of comedy. And then she would be like back at the table the next day with like spots of blood all over her face. <laughs> Catherine, I swear to G, she's still, incredible. Still killing it. Yeah. Still killing it. Do you remember the first time that you knew that you were funny, that you could make other people laugh? Uh, I always made my friends laugh. I'm like a quiet, I'm sure you can glean this, that it's not like, I'm just a, not a class clown, a, not a class clown, like not the class clown, just the person who's like writing quiet, funny letters and passing yes. them all around the class. <laughs> like the person in the back with the small friend group who was like laughing so hard, <laughs> but nobody knows what the joke is. That was, that was me. Um, I definitely was the funny person in my friend group. Definitely was the person who was like, I think instead of doing this project, we should do a sketch. Definitely the person who was like, we have the world's first camcorder. Like, my dad has all this equipment. Should we make a video instead of doing hard work? Okay, let's do it. Definitely was always that person. I never thought I could make a career of it. Like, don't be ridiculous. I still was living in Toronto with like nobody in my family in this business. There was no world in which I thought that I'd be doing that one day, but it was a deep part of my life. My, my parents are funny. Everyone in my family is really funny. So it's, it's, it's pretty organic. Yeah. What about the first time that you performed comedy on stage in any form? Um, what was, what was the setting? Uh, how did it go? What was the situation? What do you, what, what do you remember about it? I remember, um, I, it was doing my, my friend Matt Watts had, uh, in Toronto had, he met me on some other project or I had, was doing like a, a play or something with his girlfriend. And he was like, you'd be great for comedy. And I was like, shut up. And he had a small sketch troupe. He had a little sketch troupe and the woman in their sketch troupe was like away on vacation. So he was like, can you just fill in for her? And I was like, this is scary. I don't want to do it. And so I did it. And the moment that I went on stage, just this like one time in a small theater, I loved it so much. I think I recall, I could probably, the sense memory is standing under the lights on this small stage in the Tim Sims Playhouse in Toronto and going, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to do this forever, whether someone pays me for, I don't care. I'm just going to keep doing this. And then eventually I was in an all female sketch troupe called the atomic fireballs. And then, you know, that kind of, then I, it, it went on and on. And that, con that feeling continued of, I'm going to do this forever. I'll probably always have a Rubbermaid trunk in my car with wigs in it. Even when I'm in my fifties, I would say like, I'm going to be 65 in a bikini on stage with a bunch of wigs. And it's fine if, if it's just for beer tickets. That's okay. Do you have uh, an audition story from any time in your career that really stands out uh, either because it went really well or went really poorly or just uh, something that, that you remember uh, from, from auditioning? There's definitely a few. I definitely, definitely, definitely. I did a lot of commercials, by the way. Like when I was working in Toronto, that was really my bread and butter for years. My husband and I did so many. Everybody I knew, we all did a, a ton of commercials. I do remember doing the Macarena for <laughs> Pepto-Bismol spot. And I was like, mm-hmm, like dancing around. And was that, a, like was that acting at the like height I of Macarena craze? It might have been. I think it was past the Macarena craze. You know, when they were like trying to catch up. Yeah, yeah. The corporations <laughs> when big were, companies oh, were shoot, like, this... I think that kids love the Macarena. Let's have this woman <laughs> dance it in front of us while we eat turkey club sandwiches. And she can pretend that she has diarrhea, but she's also <laughs> dancing. Like those super humiliating <laughs> moments where you just walk away and you're like, I, please, Jesus, don't let me get this job. This is horrific. Although when I was, oh my God, when I was at The Daily Show, I did get offered a commercial once and they were like, it was for like special K. It was, it was for like some cereal, special K or maybe, maybe it was all brand or something. And they were like, it's so fun. Um, here's the premise. You are on a water slide. And I was like, okay, it's a water slide. They're like, and you're wearing like, it's like a, it's so fun. You're going to just wear a suit, like a normal suit. It's brown. And you're on a water slide. I was like, 
a brown suit. They're like, <laughs> essentially, like as I, you know, took a broader view of the commercial, yeah, I, like I, I was like, going, yeah. yeah, you do. They were like, they wanted me to dress in a brown turd suit and slide down a water slide <laughs> like it was someone's colon. So in the, I was like, in the, so in the commercial, just for clarity, I'm the piece of shit, right? <laughs> and I'm just like having a grand time sliding out of someone's asshole. Is that the That's premise? what you're going for? Yeah. That's what you're going for? And they were like, I mean, in a way, I was like, absolutely no. Please <laughs> never speak to me again. Like, not in a one million billion years. <laughs> like, I'll actually like go back to school for something else if this is... <laughs> How the world sees me. <laughs> no, thank you. Amazing. Yeah. Um, we were talking <laughs> about those those field pieces uh, for the Daily Show. What what would do you remember the very first one that you got sent on and and how? It oh went? yeah, I do. I do. It was a pro- with um, a producer. His name is Jim Margolis, and he uh, we went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because. I'm just, I have to go back in my memory banks, but it was like the TSA had put out a, a terror list. They put out names of like big giant lists of people who were, it was a, the no fly list, mm-hmm. but there were so many people. I mean, there were so many, there were like, you know, 1000 million problems with the no fly list. So this was like a very small, uh, just a, a, a small kind of micro problem with the TSA no fly list was that all these people with like very plain names could not fly. Yeah, And so we went to <laughs> Sioux Falls and I think the guy's name was like Dave Thomas or something. I mean, it was such a simple name. And I do recall being, you know, very bad at the job. And he, you know, Jim was like formerly a 60 minutes producer. So he was very good at his job and I was so new at my job. And he was like, thanks a lot, everyone. You, you're sending me out with the new chick. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I love Jim. We're really good friends now. It's not, it's not a problem, but I definitely didn't know what the fuck I was doing. The federal government has created terrorism watch lists containing the names of the most dangerous threats to national security. Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, and most feared of all, David Nelson, David Nelson, David Nelson. is on the government's no-fly list. But are these no-fly lists keeping us safer? My name is Dave Nelson. I've made it through security checkpoints every time. That's right, Dave Nelson, listed as a terrorist by the government, laughs at our efforts to stop him. You're a terrorist. (laughs) No. Well, the federal government says you're a terrorist. The federal government says that there is a Dave Nelson who's a terrorist, but not me personally. Do you expect me to believe that there's more than one Dave Nelson? And they were like, here's your dildos to go through security with we're gonna film you going through security with just a bag like a tote bag of gigantic dildos like big double-ended what what have i gotten myself into like just like walking through the air it was so hard they had to film me so surreptitiously because you can't film in airport we couldn't film in airports at the time at all you certainly couldn't film do through a security check but we were like praying that in sioux falls they wouldn't be paying attention I don't really remember how that panned out in terms of us filming, but I do remember having like a tote bag with like $2,500 worth of the biggest dildos in the world bouncing (laughs) out, like hanging out of the tote bag and just walking through the Sioux Falls airport with my purple dildo bag. Yeah, it was good. It was, there were a lot, there was a lot of dildo based humor in those days. Yeah. Classic. Do you have a, a story or memory about the first time you met one of your comedy heroes, uh, someone who you just really looked up to in the comedy world and and what it was like to meet them for the first time? I do remember. I did meet Carol Burnett at some event. Um, it was, it, I think it was when the Carol Burnett show was being released as a DVD set. And, um, <laughs> and everybody knew that I loved her so hard. So they were like, we are repping this event. Do you want to go to it? And I was like, yes. And (laughs) I met her and I immediately started crying and it was so sad. And she was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't think it was a good experience for her. (laughs) She wasn't like, I really think you're doing, you're really. Did she know know who you were? I'm sure she did not know who I was. And also just saw me as this like crying lady, but it was like, I couldn't help it. I just, just started like tears. 
it was like um, I did a hosted an event for Judy Bloom once or hosted, but like a moderated uh, a conversation with her at the 92nd Street Y and just saw like witnessed what it is like for her, which is to say that just women line up and immediately burst into tears in her presence. And that is what it was like for Gail Burnett. And she was very gracious and nice about it, but I'm sure it's, and Judy Bloom was like incredible about it. She's like, this is my job. I, <laughs> so gracious. I mean, just the ultimate, like the ultimate, but it is a lot of emotional work. So I really don't think that Carol Burnett owes me anything. I did burst into tears and have a 30 second interaction with her. <laughs> and she was like, I'm not going to remember this. I'm like I am forever. I'm sure you have a lot of uh, young women uh, coming up to you and, and telling you how much uh, your work means to them. Yeah, it definitely happens. And I tried to, and I, and I, I always remember, I remember, I remember that. And, and I, I take it seriously. It is serious. It's, it's a weird, it's very trippy meeting your heroes. I also met Vince Neil once and he was my hero when I was 13 and it was, did not go as well as I thought it would when I was 13. It was fine. <laughs> wasn't, it just wasn't what I would have wanted when I was 13. Um, the last question is, do you have a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Oh my God. Okay. That I would have to actually, oh gee, that I would have to think about that. I would have to, well, someone, no, I mean, I know you're looking for like a big picture thing, like a meaningful story, but I was, to I was reminded today <laughs> of the time that I put a penis bump on my face for, I was working at the daily show at the time and I was like, how does this work? And everyone was like, don't put it on your face. Like all, all the producers were like, don't, don't put it on your face. And I was like, it's going to be really funny trust me. And they were like, you don't have to do this. Cause I always did really fucking go hard. I do. I go hard. I go hard. I'm not afraid. I don't care. So I put it on my face and I cranked that fucking penis pump to like, I was like, let's take it to 11. And it sucked my whole face in it. It was powerful. And I kept going cause it was really funny. And then, um, I had the biggest, I had a full face hickey, like a full, gigantic bruise on my face and I had to get my passport photo. So for like five years, <laughs> I had a passport photo with a giant <laughs> green penis pump ring on the side of my face. <laughs> like just a, the most hideous bruise. And, um, but I know. I think that's a perfect story. We were searching for meaning, but that was that a, seems that That's was about as I meaningful just, as it gets, I think. I think that was the reverse because I regretted it after. <laughs> yeah, it was funny when it happened, and then it you was, it. and then yeah. it wasn't. That's the opposite, but yes, yeah, still works. Okay. Um, well, Sam, I'm so glad that we finally got to do this again, and Me too. Um, and good luck on your tour and and with everything. Thank you. And, um, it's always so fun to talk with you, and and so I'm so fun I'm, to you were so the, fun to the talk to you. Perfect guest for our 200th episode. So Next stop, this was 500th fantastic. episode. Oh, your God, 500th episode. In, I don't know yeah, if we're going to make it. It's six months from now. You do a lot oh, of yeah. episodes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when you put it like that, doesn't sound so bad. Easy. Um, all right. Thank you so much. So good to talk Thank to you. Thank you. Okay. You talk to all you later. Right. Bye. Bye. Well, we did it. Thank you again to Samantha B for joining me on this 200th episode of The Last Laugh. And thanks to all of you for listening over the past four years of this podcast. You can get tickets to see Sam live in a city near you at samanthab.com and look out for her new podcast, Choice Words, coming soon to wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.